Welcome to Naturally Educated. And on today's episode, we're talking conservation of habitats. And with us today is going to be Radia Aida Umar bin Kaleb, Senior Analyst at the Terrestrial Biodiversity Regulation Department at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Majal Qasimi, and my co-host today is, as always, Abdurrahman Sahabi. Nice to be with you guys. So, Abdurrahman, how can people get in touch? So, as always, guys, get in touch. Reach out with the comments that you have about this episode or series in general, or even with a story to tell us. Tell us what you think. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word but also on our website or on YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. Abdurrahman, I wanted to tell you, you're Abu Dhabi based and you know it well, mm -hmm. but you have to agree with me that the huge and rich natural heritage that exists in the natural ecosystems of Abu Dhabi is something to be really in awe of. Absolutely, yes. Abu Dhabi is home to so many different, as you mentioned, natural habitats, species, all of these kind of elements that make vibrant and alive natural environment that often when we're in the in the city, we don't really a taste of or understand, you know? I think for me, from my veterinary background, to think about how many species exist in these, whether it's the sea or the coast, the desert, we're talking about 3,600 known species alone in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that's impressive. That's that's a lot. <laughs> so I know you do tours around Abu Dhabi. For me, my question to you is, what is your favorite natural ecosystem, if you will? Without a doubt, I would say, Majid, it's the mangrove marine natural park. To me, kayaking around those mangroves, getting in all the birds that flies in, all this, the marine species from crabs to different fish, and also foxes sometimes are around the islands there. To me, it's just marvelous. Yeah, I, I used to drive past there all the time on the way to work at the Environment Agency. And for me, being the terrestrial guy, I really find there's a beauty in the stillness of the sort of desert environments. And when you find some of the sort of oases areas where you can find small insects and sometimes lizards or birds, uh, the wetland areas was also a very big thing for me. The wetlands that we have in Abu Dhabi, you can see some beautiful migratory birds. You can see some local wading birds. Mm -hmm. and, and there's such complex ecosystems when you get the chance to, to look at them. Today, we're going to be looking at what it takes to conserve some of these habitats. And with us now is Rajia Aida bin Kaleb. She's a senior analyst for terrestrial biodiversity regulation in the terrestrial and marine biodiversity sector at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Welcome, Rajya, and glad to have you. Welcome, and thank you. So let's talk a bit about the background here of what we're discussing. So we have unique nature and diversity of natural habitats in Abu Dhabi. Could you explain a little bit more about what we're talking about? When we talk about uh, Abu Dhabi biodiversity, I encourage everyone to download the Abu Dhabi Nature app, uh, which highlights uh, uh, highlights the biodiversity of Abu Dhabi and highlights the habitat of Abu Dhabi. We encourage everyone to download this and try it out to learn more about our unique biodiversity. Our Abu Dhabi environment is unique because we have a species here that can survive in some of the harshest conditions in the world mm -hmm. with reefs that are adapted to high salinity and temperatures. 
we have the second largest population of dugong after Australia and desert plant, reptile and mammals that are uh, resilient to climate change and apply an important role in our balance of our ecosystem. We have a species such as endangered Arabian tahar in Jabal Hafid. Mm -hmm. That is an endemic species, which means it's found only in UAE and Oman. That's why our Abu Dhabi environment or UAE environment is unique. Well, I love that you suggested even that there's an app that we can download. What can somebody find and learn from the app? Yeah, they can find more about our nature. They can learn more about the species that we have in uh, Abu Dhabi the habitat which are considered as a home for these species mm -hmm. and the condition where they live what they eat the app have more information yeah this app i'm, I'm assuming there are pictures involved so we can see the species as well with the dis unique habitats yes of course there is picture and it's a very fun app for everyone for adults and kids also okay i'm going to have to download it because i want to show my kids this app as well <laughs> yeah please so Ajia, it's great to have you with us I wanted to ask you about the importance of the natural habitats that we have here in the UAE and to ask you why it's so important to conserve them. Yeah, thank you, Abdurrahman. This is a good point. Actually, uh, habitat must be conserved because they are the home of land, animal and vertebrate species that make up our natural world and ensure an environmental balance. In addition, we have marine, coastal and terrestrial ecosystem that provide us with that, we call it natural capital. Mm -hmm. Important services for both wildlife and people and their environment that ensure healthy lives and rich biodiversity. For example, you mentioned seagrass habitat mm -hmm. are known to filter microbes from the water. Desert plants are known to help stabilize the sand and retain water. And many and many of factors of our natural, if we conserve, we start to conserve the habitat, that's mean we conserve the species that live in that habitat. Mm -hmm. And to protect a species, you must protect its habitat and ensure there is sufficient healthy habitat for the population to survive. For example, we work on project of Arabian oryx. The Arabian oryx needs healthy, well-vegetated desert habitat mm -hmm. to the release population to continue growing and survive. Resident and migratory birds, uh, water birds, need many clean and well-preserved mud flat and uh, mangrove area along the coast. Our dugong and green sea turtles cannot survive without sufficient sea grass uh, beds to feed on. and. Yeah, the list is long. Yeah, it's, it's quite long. In fact, I know that also the species come in all shapes and sizes, very large, very small. And uh, it reminds me of when I was at university and a lot of uh, my friends always were very curious. They said, so what is it that you have in terms of environment or let's say nature? There's nothing out there. It's a desert. But as you're so describing, there are so many aspects of our habitats here whether marine or uh, terrestrial, that house so many different species and quite unique species as well. For me, having worked with you and also knowing how sensitive or how unique our habitats and environment are, I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about what are the pressures on some of the native biodiversity and the impacts of climate change? Uh, actually, there is many uh, natural 
pressure on our native biodiversity. But I would like to focus on the human activity, which is something in our hands, like development, urbanization, industrial expansion, infrastructure, mm. agriculture projects, and uh, unregulated tree cutting, illegal hunting, overfishing, overgrazing, all of these activity, pollutions, that's made the pressure, a big pressure on our native uh, biodiversity or our native ecosystem. When you're talking about overfishing or, or overhunting, that's very direct human impact. Yes. But when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about human activity that indirectly then affects the very place that they share. In your work in the field, Yes. What have you seen where you can say, oh, that is due to climate change or that is due to an environmental factor rather than something direct like the overhunting or overfishing? Our desert is less vegetated than before. This is one uh, of impact of climate change. Also bleaching of corals. Yeah, I think for my fieldwork and terrestrial part, yeah, the less vegetated of desert is a, a big sign of climate change. Mm -hmm. And also the reduced level of water groundwater also in the desert. It's also a sign of climate change. That's really interesting. Most people are looking for what's happening above ground or what they can see directly with their eyes. But when you talk about the water aquifers and water availability for the many different plants that go deep into those water aquifers, that's a major challenge uh, and where climate in terms of not having enough rain. Yeah, because the water groundwater depends on the vegetation on the surface. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. you don't have the enough vegetation, that helps to retain water. It's a, yeah. It impact. Yeah, absolutely. So, Raja, actually, I'd like to ask more about critical marine, intertidal, and terrestrial habitats in Abu Dhabi. Tell us more about the different habitats that we have and how we define critical when it comes to these systems or habitats. Yeah, if we define critical marine or terrestrial habitat, these are defined as an ecosystem type of high biodiversity value, including habitat of significant importance of critically endangered or endangered species, habitat supporting globally or regionally sufficient concentration of migratory species, and also highly threatened of unique ecosystem area associated uh, with key evaluation process. Mm. So these all factors we considered when we classified uh, the critical habitat. And we followed the ICN. You followed the ICN guidelines for uh, critical habitats? Yes. And we have a 12 critical marine and uh, terrestrial habitat. Sure. I will mention some, but you can learn more about them from the apps or from the Enviro portal, which is freely available on the EID website. Type of our critical habitat is coral, seagrass, mangrove, salt marsh, wadi, sand sheet with small vegetation, and dunes with uh, tree cover. And many of these uh, names, some of them is long names, but I try to mention the ones which is common. The one that always makes me wonder is Sabha. It's sand sheet. Yeah, Sabha is a common name. Yeah, yeah. the common name, exactly. Well, this is those, those sand or salt marsh areas. And then also always the wetlands in Abu Dhabi are, are very famous. We have the wetland areas that are not only protected, but have a main contribution to some of the bird species, migratory or locally. So that's super interesting. And I wonder if when you are in the field uh, or if you do any of the field analysis, which of these 
habitats you've already visited. You don't work on the marine, I'm assuming, with your title, but uh, in the terrestrial, what work have you done there? Yes, the all um, terrestrial habitat, that's uh, mm -hmm. Sanchit, Dunes, and uh, Wadi, mm. well, these all, Barga also, mountain. Okay, yeah. you've been to all the all the different geographies, which which makes me think when you have all of these different spaces, they will all be used for different reasons if they're used at all. And I know that there's a major important piece of work where Abu Dhabi's habitat, land use and land cover mapping project is done. Can you tell me about why that's so important that we have a project like this? Yes, this is a pioneering project mm. that was launched in 2014-2015. It was the first time anyone in the region had mapped out habitat and land use mm -hmm. in such detail on this scale. And also together with the validation through field survey have resulted in that accuracy exceeding 9% on land or on terrestrial mm -hmm. and 75% uh, in marine area. Wow. So yes, so all protected area map, protected area mapping and environmental permitting, land use and conservation planning, estimating uh, blue carbon, detecting uh, of uh, where is uh, degradation yeah. of habitat loose and etc. are some of the area where the mapping is uh, being used. It helps with conserving biodiversity, mm -hmm. but also it's essential for uh, urban planning and crisis management and food security also. The database of this project is freely available on www.enviroportaleid.ae mm. and uh, it helps academics, developers, town planners and uh, crisis management. What I like about a land use map, an example maybe for the listeners that would be good is say for instance somebody wants to set up a fish farm and you want to find a location in the water at sea where you could set up a fish farm. But what you don't want to do is to disrupt or be in a protected area. You also want to make sure you're not close to very large infrastructure like seaports. And with this kind of land use map, not only online can you find the possible locations that might be more suitable, but on top of that, it gives the regulators like Abu Dhabi government the ability to designate areas where it would be beneficial or most appropriate. And this all not only to help drive economic development, but also to protect biodiversity and these environments and habitats. And this is something I think, at least I have in my work and Rajoy with your work, a lot of people don't understand the importance of having this kind of information, which I think is so interesting. Uh, Majid, if you don't mind me jumping in here for a second, it's just something I've been wondering about. Raja, you mentioned the word wadi just there. We have some quite unique habitats uh, here in the UAE. We've mentioned Sabha, which are the salt marsh plains, but I also know we have wadis. And Raja, maybe you could explain what a wadi is for our listeners. Yeah, it's uh, underneath of the mountain. You mean like a valley? Yes, the wadi is the area in the low down of the mountain. Mm -hmm. Same uh, what you can find it in Jabal Hafid. Mm -hmm. Not in the top of Jabal Hafid, but then... At the bottom. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's rich of biodiversity, actually. So how is that? Because I, there's something very unique about wadis that I don't think people will understand. It's like a small valley or a piece of ground that's recessed. But why is that? 
because of running of water after rain or the water run in that area? Through, through the mountains. I think what I was trying to share with the listener, and this is quite an interesting experience, is that when you go through a wadi, uh, as Raja was explaining, it's rich with biodiversity, especially after it's rained. So what happens is when the rain hits our mountain ranges and that water collects downstream from the watershed, literally it's how wadis are made. This water is moving so fast and it starts to dig deeper and deeper into this stone. But what happens is when the water settles and moves on, there's this immediate burst of nature and organisms and all these creatures that literally come out of the ground that have been waiting for water and the rain and the flowers and it's something, one of the most beautiful experiences. And I remember my mom, who's German, once told me when my dad was first uh, showing her around uh, Sharjah and driving past this one area, he stopped the car in front of a bridge and said, we can't cross. And my mom was, why? But it was a, it was a bridge in a wadi. And he said, well, the water's coming. And uh, my mom always tells me, she's like, I didn't understand it, but in 20 minutes, there was more water than she'd ever seen move through this space. And I think it's one of the unique things. Most people think here in the UAE, we have very dry climate and we don't have much water. But when it does rain, we have a lot of it. And that's why we have the wadis. And the sabhas, I have my own unique experience with sabha by getting my car stuck in it. But why don't you tell the listeners what, what the sabha is, what these salt flats are. They're not salt flats, but sand sheets are. Yes, it's a very less or no vegetation actually and that's uh, mm -hmm. this kind of habitat but also it's very important for our ecosystem it's helped to captive minerals underneath the earth mm -hmm. you can tell them about your yeah. experience <laughs> My, regarding sabha well on the sabha what we have is there's a it's almost like a waterlogged sand it's very heavy in salts and you're right there's a lot of minerals in it and less vegetation but it does have a responsibility to buffer between uh, salt water and some other spaces and it doesn't look like anything other than simply sand. But when you drive in it, you will suddenly, I mean, I literally almost buried a car in it. So I, I know twice um, I was turning out and somebody's like, don't turn into the sabha. And I was like, what? And then the car got stuck. And uh, yeah, it's kind of surprising how deep you can go into the sabha. But these are some of the unique habitats that we have. And I thought it would be nice for the listeners to, to hear about. Now, with that in mind, can we just go back to the land cover project that we were talking about? Could you share with us and our listeners the importance and the size of this kind of project? I really wonder what does it mean for Abu Dhabi to be able to undertake a project of this importance? And of course, the size. As I mentioned, it's the first time that anyone in the region has conducted such a detailed habitat mapping and classification. This mapping has allowed us to really see where land use change mm, is taking. That's a good point. And taking place. Yeah. Yeah. And which habitat are uh, most is need or uh, where we have to focus on and protect. And this is what helps us to uh, develop evidence-based policies and regulation for conservation. It also allows us to uh, engaging with the other government entity to make sure that uh, future plans and projects take into account and for sustainable environment. So, so there was something you said that I thought was very interesting, land use change. 
I don't think people consider this when they think about what's happening in the environment. People will assume, oh, this is exactly what it's been used for, is always used for. Can you talk about land use change? The area where there is development and mm -hmm. where the people start their activities, mm -hmm. it's changed, not as its original nature. Yeah, that's true. That's what I mean by land use change. Yeah, I think a good example when you talk about land use changes, when you have a coastal area, for example, and there's some small fishing boats that were used, maybe there's some mangroves nearby, and everybody's using this area for gathering resources and, and taking their fishing boats out. And then fast forward 50 years, and now there's an international port there, and there are very large boats coming in and out. I think that's some very significant land use change. Also at the fringes typically of cities where the human activity and the environment are always sort of touching. And when I say human activity, this is sort of urban activity. That's where we'll see developments change. And what's really nice about Abu Dhabi is there's been a very strong consideration for this land use, where even the hotels that are maybe situated on the beach are very considerate of the environment. And I know that along the coast of Abu Dhabi, there are very long boardwalks where you're not supposed to step out and you're walking to the beach and also where turtle nesting is found that those areas aren't disturbed. So where that land use does change, you can measure over time using a project like this, seeing the land cover and the land use. And yes, it is definitely a project to be proud of. Now, I want to switch gears. I mentioned some of these species, but what kind of programs on important and threatened species do we have in Abu Dhabi and, and that you're maybe working on? EID has uh, many ongoing programs for monitoring priority species across of Emirates, including our wildlife assessment and monitoring program for both marine and terrestrial species. Mm. Our habitat uh, conservation and rehabilitation program for mangrove, corals, and native tree and plant, as well as ex situ conservation program, mm -hmm. which helps to restore species back to the wild. We have recently published the first Abu Dhabi red list of species based on the methodology of IUCN, mm -hmm. International Union of the Conservation of Nature, which is report about the status of uh, key species in Abu Dhabi Emirates, yeah. endangered, threatened, vulnerable, etc. And it's helped us to identify which species need special focus and attention from us to ensure their conservation. So you've picked a couple of things that are close to my heart. When you talked about ex situ conservation, <laughs> why don't you explain for the listeners who have not had the pleasure like I have to work in the ex situ team, what that looks like? Yeah, I... I think you are the best one who should be <laughs> explaining about this, but I will try. Don't worry, I'm here. It's one of the EID projects. Mm -hmm. We captive some species yeah. and try to reintroduction. Yeah, so those captive species is ex situ meaning out of the situation, basically. So one thing about ex situ conservation is that it is conservation outside of the situ, the environment or the habitat. And that is done by having a number of species in conservation reproduction centers. So for instance, one very proud example that I've worked on is the scimitar horned oryx. We were lucky enough to have the late Sheikh Zayed actually keep a certain amount of the scimitar horned oryx as a sample as they were being endangered and then slowly extinct in the wild. And what we've been able to do 
in the ex situ department is actually reproduce these animals in captivity with the intention of reintroducing them. Uh, Raja, you also mentioned the red list. Honestly, I'd like to hear more about that, if you don't mind. The scimitar horned oryx was on it, and I know that significant strides have been made protecting this specific species. Also, of course, the Arabian oryx, which actually worked backwards from extinction uh, with this particular creature. So tell us more, please. Yes, we just work on the first Abu Dhabi red list uh, of species. Mm -hmm. This is based on, uh, as I mentioned, ISOIN methodology. Mm -hmm. And this is also based on many years of monitoring and assessment mm -hmm. of these kind of species. So what does the red list actually tell you? Why are certain species actually on the red list to begin with? Because they are, depend on the, again, the category or methodology of ISOIN. Mm -hmm. They need more conserve. They need more effort from us yeah. to keep them in balance amount with the environment. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, so basically the red list shows you all the, the species that are in danger of going extinct or that are very limited in the environment. And the UAE and the EAD can be very proud to say that we've taken on this line or this journey or the red list categorization, sorry, where we've taken species and moved them backwards from extinction in the wild to limited in the wild, or even more so reintroduce them to natural habitats again. I think one of these things is concerned with globally is what species exist in captivity that can be reintroduced. And a large part of what the ex situ conservation team does is enable that. How do you reintroduce a species back into the wild and how do you get them off the red list almost? And that's what all conservation is trying to do is watch the red list and make sure that your species are not extinct or don't go extinct. And as you say, all this monitoring is for that purpose exactly. Raja, with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the UAE is doing or what has it done in terms of habitat conservation and biodiversity conservation? The government of Abu Dhabi prioritized the biodiversity conservation and uh, has set an ambitious goal. Mm of conserving at least 9% of existing coverage mm -hmm. for each natural terrestrial and marine habitat. And also commitment to protect terrestrial and marine habitat and species. Mm -hmm. They support the Convention of Migratory Species, CMS, development of national biodiversity strategy and action plan. Mm -hmm. Also, there is more of next step, for example, COP28 in Dubai. It's a very important event and a milestone where Abu Dhabi and the whole UAE's effort in environmental conservation, it will be highlighted. And that's a kind of event enhancing uh, ecotourism and citizen science in Abu Dhabi to engage the community through many of applications, such as uh, I mentioned Abu Dhabi Nature App or Badr Saham. There is many of applications that will launch, inshallah, in the future by EAD. Mm -hmm. We look forward to those. What I would say here is COP28 is going to be a really good opportunity, not only to showcase, but to raise more the profile and the importance of what we're doing. I think we've talked a lot now about what Abu Dhabi is doing and what the UAE is doing. But Rajya, why don't you tell us about what you do as a senior policy analyst for terrestrial biodiversity? I would like the listeners maybe also to learn a little bit about what 
Rajya does day to day with policies and why those are important, because I know they're important and I'd love them to know as well. In our units, the regulation and policy, we have to be in touch between the leader decision mm -hmm. and the under the ground truth studies, mm -hmm. the assessment, the monitoring. For example, latest project that I work on, the overgrazing, it's a come up after multiple assessment or many years of assessment, uh, mm -hmm. vegetation assessment in desert. Yeah. After that, the, the numbers of that scientific studies, there is it that there is an issue. We have to find what's the reason behind this degradation. And from make a decision level, we have a law, an old law from 2005, mm -hmm. but it's not updated. So we work to update that law by uh, developing a guideline of sustainable grazing, developing a policy and strategy to sustainable our natural grazing. And under this strategy, there is many of programs. Mm -hmm. One of these programs is land seeding of desert. So to reach or enhance our vegetation, mm -hmm. that's a strategy or guideline or regulation that's help to conserve maybe by different guidelines, mm -hmm. such as habitat guidelines, and share that guideline with other entity to help them for future development or for future planning. Yeah, no, I think it's really important because what I think is so unique about your position, Raja, is yes, you have decisions coming from the top. They need to be informed. You have data that's coming from the bottom. You're, you're getting studies of the environment. You're checking all the monitoring data. You're taking that and you are trying to develop policies that decision makers can endorse or support to be able to ensure we protect both habitats and biodiversity. And I think it's an important tool, especially in conservation, especially when you have many governments working on these matters to protect species and habitats from overuse, exploitation, and ultimately to make sure that they keep these environments and habitats safe for the future. Now, having said that, what can we do to help? Or perhaps what should we not do so that we're not making a negative impact? Actually, I encourage everyone to learn more about our biodiversity. Participate in different campaigns around us to learn about our environment and check out our website, EID website. There is mm -hmm. many of activities and also newly launched uh, the application, as I mentioned, Abu Dhabi Nature. And also there is Badr mm -hmm. and Saham to learn more about the value of wildlife and habitat. We all have role to play. Mm -hmm. So in our daily life and our work, mm -hmm. we can reduce our use of single-use plastic, including plastic bag, bottle, etc. And uh, yes, we can teach our children to care for their environment and learn about it. Mm -hmm. You can be an ambassador for environmental protection in your community and in your family and your business with simple action like reducing the amount of waste, the amount of energy and water that you use and uh, reducing uh, our carbon footprint. So I think there's a lot there. And what you touched upon as well with the uh, ambassadorship is about raising awareness. Honestly, I, I advocate for raising awareness a lot. And I think there are plenty of ways to do it. But from your perspective, are there any ways that you know 
or you can share with us to help us all raise awareness within our own communities? Yes, by spreading the words mm -hmm. and being ambassion or being responsible, feel the responsibility behind conserve our native biodiversity. Mm -hmm. I think everyone have this duty. Yeah. Actually, it's not just a role, it's duty to conserve our native because it's a part of our heritage. It's part of our natural heritage. It's our environment, so we need to conserve it. I agree. And and there's nothing more powerful than when we tie our heritage and our environment together. It's really how we've really flourished in this region, and it's something that's so precious to us all. Well, thank you, Rajia Aida bin Kaleb, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you. Rajia is a senior analyst for terrestrial biodiversity regulation in the terrestrial and marine biodiversity sector at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rajia. So just want to make sure everybody gets a chance to get in touch with us and reach out with comments. As always, guys, if you have a story to tell or you want to let us know what you think, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. Or you can find us at our website or on YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. So from us here at Naturally Educated, thank you very much for being with us today. My name is Majid, and as always with me, Abdurrahman, it was a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you so much, guys. Goodbye. Bye-bye.